My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. So last week, inspired by my time at the monastery at the end of December, I started a three-part sermon series which explains the scripture uh, change um, this morning. And I preached on the topic of continuity. And if you have not heard that sermon yet, I would um, suggest that you go back and listen to it. It's available on our podcast page. And you can also find the link on our Facebook page as well. Just click it. Just across all devices, or even also on Spotify as well, Apple Podcasts, however you want to look at it. Uh, it's called Continuity. Please go back and listen. Uh, and I dealt with specifically the fact that our faith is one of continuity. We looked at continuity of the scriptures, as well as the continuity of tradition, as held by those who held and hold to the apostles' teaching, centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we also looked at how when we deviate from the continuity of the scriptures and the continuity of the tradition that's been handed to us, we get into all sorts of theological, interpretive, and liturgical uh, oddness and, uh, and craziness. Today's the second part of this series, uh, and it's just entitled Discipline. Uh, and next week, uh, the sermon title, and we'll be de- dealing with the topic of, of rhythm. Discipline is tied in with rhythm and continuity, um, but we're going to focus today specifically on discipline. And life at the the monastery is a life of discipline and repetition. And if you're a guest there, you only see a fraction of the life of discipline that they have, have, have taken upon themselves. And so what I decided to do is give you a weekly schedule of services from Monday to Friday. And this isn't even what they do on the weekends. So Monday to Friday, 4 p.m., sorry, 4 a.m., they do what's called the midnight office, followed by matins and first hour. And then on Wednesday and Fridays, they include a service called paraclesis, which is a service of intercession. And then on Thursdays, they have, on top of the midnight office, matins and first hour, uh, the divine liturgy. Then there's breakfast. And then at noon, there's an akathis, which is a prayer service devoted to a saint, followed by lunch. And then at 5 p.m., they do a prayer service called Ninth Hours, followed by Vespers. And then after that, there's dinner. And then after dinner is a service called Little Compline. And then that's the end. And then you've got to go back to your room because if you don't go to sleep, (laughs) services, like I said, is at 4 a.m. So you have to, it's good to get to bed early. I made the mistake once of talking to people uh, in the common room and I fell asleep. the one time and the monks very politely asked me to go back to my room if I was tired and go to sleep. But that was not this trip. That was my first trip. I'm a pro now. And this is a lot and it sounds like a lot. And this weekly order of services show the level of discipline it takes before you even get into the personal prayer rule that each individual monk is assigned by the abbot. And then on top of that, the work that goes along with keeping the grounds maintained. Everything is, is, um, 
they have like wood furnaces, so there's wood chopping, and uh, and then there's cleaning the windows, and and we went there during the like just after the really bad snowstorms when it was ridiculously cold, and there's people who had to plow everything out. It was it's a lot of work to keep the place clean, and 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 the the cars repaired and everything, the grounds maintained. It's a lot of work, and it's a lot of discipline, but it's a life that they've entered into. And it's one that they live as an example to all of us. And so inspired by that, I'm going to talk about the discipline of a few things. The first is going to be the discipline of asceticism, the discipline of endurance, and then the discipline of worship. Asceticism, endurance, and worship. Okay. So in 1 Corinthians, St. Paul talks about running the race and receiving, receiving the prize. And athletes exercising self-control in all things. So this word asceticism means exercise. It means exercise. So we see that there's a link between spiritual exercise and abstention from certain things. And we see this clearly, and we'll see this very clearly ourselves as we get closer and closer to Lent and the tradition of fasting, praying, and the giving of alms. This is the exercises that we are called to do. Asceticism is the willful giving up of our desires to orient our hearts towards God. And the most obvious form of asceticism is the life of the monk, monasticism. And that interior attitude of the monastic, I think, is something that all Christians are called to have. We're not, listen, we're not all called to be monks. That, that's, that's, that, that's a, I think, a special calling, right? But that attitude of the giving up of ourselves so we can orient our hearts more and more towards God I think is something that we are all called to. And so this is what drives then, brothers and sisters, the things that we do, the practices that we have in our devotions, fasting, prayer, almsgiving, etc. But also this asceticism is focused. St. Paul says, run so that you may obtain the prize. Run that you may obtain the prize. And so the question that comes to mind is, well, what is the prize? Well, the prize is eternal life. The prize is eternal life. Asceticism and discipline are aimed towards a goal. St. Paul says, I do not run aimlessly or fight as one who beats the air. He's not shadow boxing with the air. He doesn't run in vain. He's focused. His discipline, his ascetical discipline is focused and structured. Right? And he's not making up his own rule as he's going along. His ascetical practice, primarily of fasting in the Jewish tradition, was based on his life as a Pharisee. But all this is necessary. The ascetical life, ascetical practices, fasting in particular, are necessary because it helps us to put to death or to mortify the deeds of the body. As St. Paul will say in Romans 8.13, if you live by the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh or the body, you will live. Right? He's not saying here that we do these things to earn salvation or if you don't fast, God won't love you. No, that's not what's going on here. It's the training of the soul. If we can train, a friend of mine, he says this, half tongue in cheek but it's kind of true he says if you can train yourself to not eat a cheeseburger 
You can train yourself to resist temptation. If you, can, if, you, if you can go to somebody's house or go out with people to a restaurant during Lent and uh, you can no, not eat a steak, you can say no to temptation. You could say no to, I don't know, there's like a Clark bar or like sting out of the grocery store. You can take it and put it in your pocket. You can say no to that, right? It's a, really, a silly example, but I like to use silly examples on purpose. The next discipline is the discipline of endurance, right? We heard the, the portion there read from Hebrews, you know, therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings to us and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Endurance is our perseverance in the life of faith, empowered by the grace of God. And endurance feels hard. And it often is because if you don't have any endurance, you can't run the race. I remember many years ago, I had a, a friend who, she is a, a, a health and fitness, I don't want to say nut because she's not, she, she's just really into health and fitness, let's just put it that way, right? She always try, hey, why don't you come with me to, to, what's that cycling thing where you got to go up and down while you're cycling at the same time? I don't know. I don't know what it's called. It's really extreme, and I, I did it once, and I'm like, I'm good, never again. <laughs> but I remember, I was like, I do need to get healthier at this point in my life, and I'm probably at that point again. But she, I said, I need to start doing some exercising. So she said, well, why don't you come start jogging with me? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. Mistake number one, because she lived in Stroudsburg. And if you've ever been to Stroudsburg, it's right there in the mountains. And her house there was kind of up on the mountain. So guess what? We were running up and down. And I remember I had very little endurance because I had not exercised that way in a very long time. And as I'm huffing and puffing going up the hill, and she's like jogging a place. She's jogging backwards like this. She's jogging all around me. Hey, what's wrong? And I said, I regret every single beer and cheeseburger I've ever eaten in my entire life as I went up the hill. I had no endurance. But as I did it, my endurance, it got better. I was able to run farther. I was able to run longer. As I took, uh, as that endurance that I was gaining was done in practice along with the discipline that it took to not eat all of the delicious foods that I really, really want to eat. My wife will tell you there is a fat child inside of me that wants to eat everything all the time. Endurance is hard. Discipline and endurance go together. Sometimes when we feel like we want to give up, the only thing that keeps our endurance up is our discipline. And that's also true in the faith sometimes, right? Worship holds us up when we can't stand. Sometimes people go through these incredible seasons of doubt. Have you ever gone through an experience like that? I have. Many people go through these intense times of doubting their faith, of doubting Christ, of doubting God, of, of doubting the Christian life. And this can lead to frustration. Well, I don't know if I believe anymore. Things in life are hard. I thought the Christian life was supposed to be an easy one. I mean, Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but he never said that the Christian life itself is going to be one of ease. We expect it to be one of ease because we live in a culture of ease. Endurance helps us in our times of doubting. It helps move us from doubt to faith. Endurance helps us be sustained in times 
of trouble. But here's the thing, right? Endurance helps us, but we cannot stay mired in the pit of doubt. Right? There's a lot of authors and speakers right now who focus so much on, you know, deconstructing your faith that they never get out of that phase. They never help people move into reconstruction. And if they do move into reconstruction, it's usually something that has a Christian veneer slapped over it, but isn't actually Christian when you start to get down to brass tacks. That's because what you deconstruct into can itself be deconstructed ad infinitum. Endurance, right? We're going we're gonna to confess the Nicene Creed in a few minutes, right? And when we have times of doubt, when we're not sure about who God is, of who Christ is, who the Spirit is, when we have times of these frustrations where we don't know what's happening, we can get together and we can confess the Nicene Creed and we can say, I might not know this, I might be in a season of doubts, but this, the Creed will hold me up. I might not be sure, but I can hold on to this and I can use this to hold my weight as the Spirit continues to work in me. We need endurance for that. Endurance is hard because, as the author of Hebrews says, that sin clings to us. It does not want to let go. It does not want to let go. Have you ever noticed that? You do something and you're like, why did I do that? I don't want to do that, but I do. I got angry and I kicked the Pomeranian again for like the 40th time this week. Why do I do that? Well, it's a Pomeranian, so it kind of has a coming, right? But sin clings. We have to lay it aside. St. John Chrysostom said this, and it made me laugh when I read it. He said, for it is easy, if we will, to overcome sin. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, really? And then I thought about it a little bit, and I realized that we have to want to lay it aside. We have to want to lay it aside. Once we want to lay it aside, God can work with that. God can work with that. But we have to lay the clinging sin aside. Endurance leads us to repentance. The ongoing orientation of our hearts to God. Being open to his love and correction. Being open to confessing when we've done wrong. And coming to service to receive his forgiveness. Endurance leads to joy, not joylessness. Nehemiah 8.10, the second half of it says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. And, and brothers and sisters, joy is the goal of discipline, of asceticism, of endurance. Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Our faith, I was reminded of this recently, is not one meant to be dour, right? We are sober about our faith, okay? We take our faith seriously, but at the same, that doesn't mean that there's no joy there. And if we're a bunch of, a bunch of a joyless automatons, then maybe there's something wrong with us, right? Because the joy, of the, and the joy of the Lord doesn't mean that we're all Pollyanna, right? Everything's happening is good all the time, even when the worst thing happens. Well, I'll try to figure out some piece of good in this. Joy doesn't mean Pollyanna, like happiness, but that whatever happens to us, we can rejoice in the Lord, that we are his, that he has redeemed us, that he has saved us from sin and from death. And he calls us to life in his kingdom. 
that can help us to rejoice even in times of, of great sadness and of great difficulty. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then finally, discipline of worship. Discipline of worship. Barry talked a little bit about it earlier during the meeting this morning, but he talked about watching online, services online. And watching services online was, is always meant to be a stopgap, right? It was meant to be something that can help keep people attached while we sort of waited out the pandemic to see which way it would go. And it was helpful. It was helpful for a little while. But as he said, there was something lacking there. What was lacking is the gathering of the believers together in worship. The discipline of worship. Coming together, regular worship, is a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. We come together to sing hymns, to confess our sins, to receive forgiveness, to come before the Lord's table and altar, to eat of his body, to drink of his blood, and receive his grace, which then empowers us to go back out into the world to spread his love and goodness and invite all those to faith in him. The discipline of worship is so important. We cannot, we cannot live or survive and thrive as an online church. I, don't, I think that's true of any church. That's funny, there's a, a comedian I was watching the other day. He's a, a Christian and one of the things he talked about, he's like how communion has changed in, in certain churches, right? He's like, in the old days you had a big thick piece of bread and you had to chew it and like kind of got out. And then he's like, and then it turned into like this, like the little cracker like that. And then it went from a cracker to a wafer. And then he goes, and this is, I thought that the best part. He's like, now, he's like, one day we're just gonna put a picture of bread up on a screen. And he's going to say, I don't know how we're going to eat this. Just breathe. I don't know. Maybe that's good enough. That was kind of his bit. And I th I th I'm like, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely onto something there, right? Worship is embodied. Worship is embodied. And it's discipline to come here. And those of you who are here, you know this. You're, you <laughs> you're all in. But worship here, together, gathered, is an ongoing discipline. Ongoing discipline. And then there's also not just the discipline of worship in the church, but then there's also the aspect of the discipline of the church. This doesn't get brought up very often. And I'll just give an example of what I'm talking about. The reformers said that one of the marks of the true church is that it, it, the church itself exercise discipline over those who are willfully in sin. So one of the things you might notice, and I'm going to do it today, before we come before the Lord's table and altar, I'm going to take out our, our, our red hymnal, and I'm going to read a portion of it. And it's going to say that I invite to the Lord's table all those who basically are believers, who believe in Jesus, who are repentant of their sins, intend to lead new life in Christ. The table is open to you. That would then mean then those who are not baptized into Christ, those who do not have faith in Jesus Christ, those who are not Christians, those who are not repentant of their sins, that means that they should remain where they are. Not because of hatred, not because they're not welcome to join us here for worship, they are, but because holy things are for the holy. The holy things are for the holy. And that aspect, I mean, reading that is 
a way in which a church practices discipline. Everybody's welcome to come worship, but there are still some things that are reserved just for the family, if that makes sense. The discipline of the church. To conclude, I remember many years ago, my little brother, had a, he wanted to play the guitar. He wanted to learn guitar. And so my, my, my parents bought him a little guitar and they hired one of the worship guys at our, our church at the time to give him guitar lessons. And um, my brother started playing. Uh, he got a little frustrated. He got a little lazy with it. And his name was Mike. He said something, and it stuck to me to this day. I think it's very true. He said, desire brings discipline and discipline brings delight. Desire brings discipline. Discipline brings delight. Many of us just stay in the desire phase. I want to learn Italian. That would be really cool. In Latin, that would be really cool. I desire to do that. But if I want that to happen, I'm going to have to take the discipline of downloading apps and taking classes and practicing. When I was in seminary, the first course... My first, one of my first courses in my first semester, I hadn't been to school in years, was Hebrew. Hebrew. I don't know if you know this about Hebrew. They don't write it the way in English, you know, from left to right. They write it from right to left. And there's like, there's no similarities between Hebrew and English at all. It's very difficult. And I had, to, I had the desire to learn it, but I found myself very early on, I fell behind in class. And I had the realization that, number one, Oh man, if I want to pass this class, I have to put in way more work than what I'm doing right now. And so what I had to do, that desire to, to, like to pass the class, this is what you do when you learn languages too, right? I took flashcards and I hand wrote every single vocabulary word that was in our textbook that we had to learn and I would spread them out all over the floor and I would read all of the cards, flip them over for the translation, all of that stuff. I'd get together with my friends and, and who were in the class with me and we would go through the notes together, especially when it was time for class and so we would quiz each other and that helped me get a very good grade in Hebrew class and also in Greek. That desire for a good grade meant nothing unless I was willing to put in the discipline to learn the material. And then I was delighted when the course was over. Desire brings discipline, brings delight. I'll give you one last example. My son, Isaac. One thing that I've wanted to do with him is build up this discipline of daily prayer. So what I've been doing with him is... I have a, a, a Bible. If you come to my house, downstairs, I have a Bible. I have a, a book of common prayer. And I want him to learn the, the, the rhythms and the discipline of prayer. And so what I would do is I'll bring him downstairs and I'll do the, uh, a, a short opening, um, a, shorter, a short confession of sin, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and like one verse from the Gospels. And then ask him if there's anything he wants to pray for. Um, it's gotten to the point where and he likes to try to read it himself now because he's learning how to read in school. If I don't wake up and go downstairs with him, he'll run downstairs. He'll grab the book and take it into the kitchen and just start on his own if I'm not quick enough to go down there with him. Right? Because not only is it a time for us to be together, but it's teaching him the discipline of prayer, of moving into prayer. And so for us as a church, brothers and sisters, as individuals into this church, 
Let us be open. Well, let me just say, well, maybe I'm calling you. Maybe God is calling us, right? To the discipline of asceticism. Maybe this Lent, instead of doing sort of something that we've always done in our, in our, in our annual Lenten practices as individuals, maybe as a church instead, we should all as a church come together and do the traditional Lenten fast as a congregation. Discipline of endurance. When things get hard, we can lean on one another. We can lean on the elders. You can lean on your brothers and sisters in Christ. The discipline of worship. We can come together and, and not forsake the assembly of ourselves as the author of Hebrews tells us. All that to say, brothers and sisters, all of these things work together and they all work together, like I said, for our good. They all work together for our joy. And that works together with the continuity that we've received in the scriptures and the continuity that we've been handed down from the apostles as exemplified to us in the gospel, in the gospel. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen.